This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Gotham City is out of control. An entire city screaming in fear. Super villains walk the streets, preying on the innocent. They will learn the true nature of power. The police are powerless. A creature prowls this urban wasteland. Is that? He moves in darkness. For some, he is a rumor. A name whispered in the corridors of the underworld. Waiting for the chance to strike. Let every criminal know the acid taste of fear. You crazy! Gotham has forgotten what justice means. The Dark Knight is here to remind them. Batman. Good guys wear black. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 180 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal, and with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter page. That is correct. It is Liam. Liam, welcome to the DCAU Review episode 180. That is right. We are still smack dab in the middle of this month of October. Uh, We are doing Batman the Animated Series reviews this month. And, uh, man, the hits just keep on coming. We had a big episode last week with Harley and Ivy, and we've got an arguably even bigger one this week with the uh, official introduction of Batgirl in Shadow of the Bat, parts one and two. Parts one and two. That's right. We have a lot to discuss uh, on this one. Liam, as we mentioned last week, this one was... Somewhat familiar to us, uh, only because we had this one on one of the Warner Brothers official home video releases. This was the Two Face mm-hmm. tape, uh, videotape that contained just these two episodes. So near and dear to us, I think this may be one of the episodes that we've seen, probably seen most in our lives, but uh, near and dear for for other reasons as we'll get into the episode today. But very excited to chat about you, uh, chat about this episode with you. Uh, I'm sure you have lots of uh, lots of fond memories of this one going into it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Just for the the reasons you mentioned, it's definitely one that I've seen these two part episodes. Um, This is definitely two of the ones I've seen the most of any of these episodes growing up and even into my uh, young adulthood once DVDs and uh, streaming became a thing. This is one I would revisit quite a bit. So yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot to, uh, to get into here and a lot of uh, happy memories associated with this episode. And as we often do, especially with the Batman episodes, it's, a, it's always a fun time to see how well the, your, uh, your modern, more critical eye holds up against that nostalgic feeling when the, uh, when the music hits or when the title card comes up or whenever, whatever the, the theme song plays, whatever it is that we'll certainly get into throughout our reviews here in our four main categories. But uh, always fun to have one of those really true nostalgic feelings when you, uh, when you open up an episode. And we definitely both have that for uh, these two episodes. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how that plays out in our scores today, whether or not that will be a detriment or a benefit. But uh, we might as well jump in because we, I know we have a lot to talk about with two episodes being reviewed today. So let's get into it. Uh, before we do, of course, you have the official IMDb synopsis for this week's episode, which, uh, well, episodes, which means, of course, that means, Liam, you get two IMDb synopses to repeat this week. So very excited about that. And uh, these episodes actually premiered on the, on the Fox Kids. I almost said Kids WB, not quite. The Fox Kids Network uh, on, a, on an afternoon of September the 13th and then September the 14th, 1993, putting us at the 28-year anniversary of these episodes uh, just past last month. That's right. And since this is a two-part episode, Cal, that means I, of course, have two synopses to read. And we'll see how uh, each one holds up here. This is, of course, for the episodes Shadow of the Bat Parts 1 and 2. Both were written by Brian Stevens, both parts directed by Frank Parr, uh, with music for Part 1 by the great Shirley Walker and music for Part 2 by Harvey Cohen. Uh, Animation by Dong Yang with layouts by Spectrum. And those synopses read as such. Commissioner James Gordon is arrested for corruption, forcing his daughter Barbara Gordon to take a dramatic step to help him. That's part one. And part two. Barbara Gordon, now Batgirl, joins Batman and Robin's investigation of Commissioner Gordon's framing. Those aren't the best. I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, they, they're okay. They just did not spend a lot of time in kind of covering the plot, which is okay. We can do that. Um, But I guess they covered the the basics there, Liam, as we get into the episode here. Uh, At the very beginning, we have this very fun scene that uh, we have Rupert Thorne joining his men in uh, what is the, looks like the trafficking of some contraband at the docks that is interrupted by the GCPD. Uh, They are busted and Thorne has to do his best to make an escape so that he is not seen and connected. And uh, a plot point, I think, probably lost on me as a child watching this episode that he Mm -hmm. the reason why he couldn't be seen is because he's keeping you know, he didn't want to be associated and, and be held by the police in connection with this he's he, he he's a criminal but he's an underhanded like under the table criminal so it's not something that he's out and about so i think that the subtlety of the reason why he didn't want to be seen was lost on me as a child but uh you know you, you very much pick up on things as an adult watching these that you may have missed as a child so uh him trying to escape uh, batman foils him quickly thereafter and uh, mm-hmm. we actually are introduced to this brand new character that is a part of the drug bust or sorry, contraband bust here at the, the docks, a uh, new member of the GCPD and assistant commissioner, that being this new character, Gil Mason. Careful, Gil. Don't make this hard on yourself, Thorne. Step out where we can see you. Not even if I could, Flatfoot. Look. Don't you just love it when he gives them to you gift wrap? The Deputy Commissioner Gil Mason, who last night was instrumental in capturing Rupert Thorne. Mason attributed the incriminating evidence against Thorne to a mysterious informant. And the Commissioner and I won't rest until every crime kingpin, hustler, and two-bit crook is off the streets. 
You will ruin your eyes changing channels so fast, Master Bruce. Not to mention your attention span. One would think the fall of Rupert Thorne would bring a smile even to your face. I'd love to know who this mysterious informant is. This is the third gang lord Mason's brought down in as many months. Yes, it's quite alarming. If this continues, you might even be forced into taking a vacation. No, Liam, I think there's a... There's... T- tends to be a bad record when it comes to introducing a brand new character that you've never heard of before into a cartoon. You can pretty much guarantee that that guy, A, isn't going to last long, and B, probably isn't going to be on the right side of things. Yeah, that generally tends to be a thing when you have a, a sort of special guest star like this. Uh, he's either going to be, as you said, sort of immediately put out of commission in some ways, or is going to maybe turn out to be uh, working for the other side. And that's uh, that will obviously get to, we'll get to that later in the episode. Yes. This, they, uh, they make note as, uh, as Bruce Wayne is watching the news after the drug bust that, uh, that Gil Mason, this, this assistant commissioner, as well as Gordon have been just, uh, just raining down fire and brimstone on the mob and have, this is the third mob boss that they've taken down and, in recent times and Bruce is sort of pondering how exactly it is that uh, that they're getting all these tips who could be tipping uh, the police off to all this it just it feels like something of a setup for uh, and that perhaps a, a new player is moving into town and is sort of cleaning up the uh, the competition before moving in and that that that's I think part of this that I didn't quite remember or maybe quite pick up on as a kid is the the uh, the the two pronged attack from our, our main villain who of course we find out later is is two-face um which is is that there's there's a plot at at play here to not only uh take control of the underworld but also to sort of control the people that are uh, that would be coming after them in law enforcement and uh but uh, we'll we'll get to that more in a moment but yes as as, as bruce sort of continues to ponder that we are reintroduced to barbara gordon and there's a, there's sort of a, a, an established thing here, and, and we'll get into this as you, you kind of touched on it, Cal, which is that this character of Gil Mason, which is introduced for this episode and then never seen again after part two, uh, it kind of feels like a little bit of a waste because this series was very often very good at bringing in characters early on, and then when they became the more iconic version of themselves, in the case of a Batgirl, in this very episode, we had seen Barbara Gordon multiple times, and we had seen her, you know, not only her physical abilities in the field in Heart of Steel, where she, you know, she infiltrates Rossum's factory, but also in uh, in uh, in I Am the Night, we see her her sort of motivation when her father is, uh, is put in danger, is nearly killed, that and uh, it doesn't appear that Batman is going to step up to solve the case. We once again sort of see that fire building in her, uh, similar to the way that we that we were introduced to Harvey Dent multiple times before Absolutely. he becomes the case. <laughs> so I do think that is maybe, and, and we'll get into that maybe more when we're talking our, our broad strokes and our scores, but that is maybe one thing that stuck out to me on a rewatch is like, well, of course, this pretty boy... A hero cop that happens to be taking down all the mobs seemingly almost single-handedly of course this guy was going to turn out to be crooked and and maybe maybe if we had introduced gill a couple episodes earlier in the series and then worked up to this it wouldn't have seemed like such an obvious thing 
Yeah, I, I agree, especially when you, like you said, when you contrast it against the Barbara Gordon character or you contrast it against Harvey Dent, who made several appearances, both who've made several appearances beforehand. It does feel like as as an adult watching this, even even knowing <laughs> even knowing how this episode goes, if you hadn't seen this episode, you're kind of tipped off right away that this guy is probably going to have something to do with what's going on, which we immediately your spidey sense should be tingling when he's the one that shows up to arrest Jim Gordon. As we continue through the plot here, that uh, it turns out he shows up that uh, that uh, evening at Jim's house or shortly thereafter busting thorn. And uh, he has a warrant for Jim Gordon's arrest. Mr. Mason. You must be psychic. We were just talking about you. Come in, come in. Hey, Gil, what's doing? Another tip on a case? Believe me, Jim, I don't want to be here, but I thought it would be best coming from me. What is it? What's wrong? James Gordon, I have a warrant for your arrest. (laughs) This is a joke, right? On what charges? Accepting bribes. You can't be serious. The department has reason to believe that you've been taking money from Rupert Thorne for years. What? Dad's never taken a bribe in his life. I'm sorry, Barb. You have the right to remain silent. If you give up that right, anything you say... I know my rights, Gil. Dad! Don't worry, Barbara. It's all a mistake. You'll see. I'm sorry, Barbara. I really am. Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon. Just a statement, sir. What about these corrupt charges? Please. 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 Warrant uh, proceeds to uh, say that Jim uh, has taken bribes for years and is uh, is almost business partners pretty much with Rupert Thorne and that he's connected to him. And which, of course, I, I think, again, something else lost on me as a child, Jim Gordon being the good cop of maybe a handful of good cops in a very corrupt city. This would be this would be extremely detrimental, not only to the city itself, but obviously Jim Gordon's reputation would be completely ruined. Um, And then naturally people in in the city would be looking for somebody that is squeaky clean and that would look to to fill his shoes in a way that they could once again trust. So why wouldn't you then look to this squeaky clean, good looking, young, up? up and coming member of the of the police department to then slide right into the commissioner's chair, which ultimately we learn is part of two faces plan. So uh, that this this plot to to frame Gordon and to make him look like he's been on on Thorne's payroll and taking bribes for years is uh, is pretty intricate. And we again reveal is a huge part of the plan. Uh, Of course, Gil has to keep up appearances, though. And and after uh, after Harvey Bullock has a conversation with Barbara trying to keep her somewhat uh, her, her her spirits up a little bit, mentions that there's going to be a rally, that they're going to 
to uh, put on in, in honor of Commissioner Gordon, because he's also been denied bail by the district attorney, who uh, we also will see later on in some episodes, the new district attorney that's replaced Harvey Dent, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, she comes back into play in a, in a rather memorable episode later on, but they've denied Gordon bail. So there's rally that they're going to throw that apparently was Gil Mason's idea to throw support behind Gordon to take the heat mm-hmm. off of him as somebody that could potentially be behind this, obviously, and also to allow him to uh, to to kind of, uh, you know, sh- continue to get his face out there in the public for them to to be a potential face in the future for the for the GCPD. So in the process of this, uh, Barbara decides uh, that she thinks that Batman needs to come <laughs> and show up. And wouldn't you know it, uh, Gordon, who's in prison, asks Batman to go visit Barbara just to ask her to keep her nose out of it. And that's kind of where we get the next tension here that ultimately leads to uh, Barbara taking things into her own hands. But you have to come to the rally. The public respects you. If they see you there, they'll know Dad's innocent. Sorry, but there's more to this than a simple frame-up. And I'm not going to find out by appearing at rallies. But don't you see? The best thing you can do for him is to keep out of it. The people behind this are dangerous. I'm a professional. Don't try this at home, huh? Sorry, Batman. You being at the rally could decide if Dad goes free. So you'll be there. One way or another. Yeah, I think that's a that that's another great sequence. I think of uh, kind of building on what we saw in in the I Am the Night episode, where it's clear that when Bat when Barbara thinks that Batman isn't going to be isn't going to take action, that she clearly has that motivation, um, and it's satiated in that episode when Batman sort of comes back at the end. But um, here in this episode, she she really feels that the only way that uh, that that Gordon is going to get bail is if if Batman is seen there. And so she, uh, she goes and makes herself sort of a makes makeshift suit complete with uh, bulky shoulder pads and, and everything. And uh, there's this is sort of, all, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. There's a, there's a kind of a fun sequence there, but, uh, and this is sort of offset by, you know, Bruce deciding he's not going to do that and is instead going to go undercover as uh, one of his more famous uh, underworld alter egos when he's going undercover, that being of course matches Malone and uh and uh in the meantime he actually asks robin who uh just kind of shows up in this episode and <laughs> and is, uh, asks him to uh to make the public appearance on on batman's behalf uh for him and of course so as, as robin is preparing to kind of make his big grand entrance onto the scene during this rally we see this uh this fake batman barbara in the suit uh swing by and then as uh, as sort of there's some commotion there as the crowd reacts to sim- seemingly seeing batman uh profess uh gordon's innocence that we get a a couple of masked thugs complete with tommy gun looking to apparently make a drive-by on gil mason who was standing at the uh, at the podium making a rousing speech in in favor of jim gordon's innocence and uh, that actually causes, I guess, the, the fight or flight uh, moment for, for Barbara here as she springs into action and actually is sort of uh, in, a, in her own clumsy way is, is able to, uh, to crash the, uh, the thug's car. And then she and Robin are able to kind of chase the thugs off, though they do both get away from, uh, from, from her and Robin and they're sort of left 
uh, not knowing where to go next, uh, except except for the fact, of course, that Barbara was able to unmask one of the thugs. And so that sort of sets up our final act of part one as uh, Barbara goes to police headquarters to uh, to try to identify the the perp and she's able to do that. Meanwhile, we see Dick Grayson and Alfred back at Wayne Manor and Dick is watching footage of the uh, of the shootout that was captured by Summer Gleason. And in addition to footage of Batgirl being seen, we also uh, we also notice something pretty suspicious. That being that, uh, as Alfred and Dick put it, Mr. Mason ducked before the guns started firing. All Gotham is talking about the mysterious Batgirl who foiled an assassination attempt on acting commissioner Gil Mason. Expanding membership in the crime fighting club. If I find out who she is, I'll... Hey, look at that. Mr. Mason ducked before he saw the guns. Almost as though he expected it. And so... Dick is sort of seemingly getting on to the, to the right track here. Uh, that's, that's a plot point I actually like in this episode that I don't really remember us getting to see very much in the rest of this series, which is we get to see Robin be a little bit of a detective. Uh, you know, like everybody in, this, everybody in this episode kind of comes to these conclusions on their own. Obviously, Bruce is undercover and is, is following one of these thugs and and meanwhile, you know, Barbara is able to figure it out by having seen the man's face and then matches him to a mugshot in a in a book on Harvey Bullock's desk. And then Dick is able to kind of figure it out through this uh, this news report that he keeps uh, that he keeps watching. So it's kind of fun to see all three of our, our heroes here come to the same conclusion sort of independently of, of each other and, and kind of figure out that something's going going wrong. And that sets up sort of the end of part one as Barbara goes to Gil's house uh, ready to tell him that she knows who one of the men who shot at him was, wouldn't you know it, that exact person is sitting on Gil's couch at that moment. Yep, we get old Mad Dog, which uh, he has a very distinctive face, uh, very much looking like a beaver with his giant buck teeth. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and and that's kind of where we where we wrap up part one because Barbara realizes at that point that Gil is not somebody that she can trust. She doesn't really have a lot of trust for anybody else. Batman has told her to sit this one out, but she looks over as she's talking to her teddy bear, Whoopi, who makes his uh, reappearance. Whoopi always there to encourage Barbara to do things, uh, <laughs> do things against what Batman has advised her to do. Mind <laughs> Remember from Heart of Steel, uh, Whoopi also advised her to go uh, save Commissioner Gordon as well, if you recall. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine that like she can hear would be talking like is Barbara is Barbara a little schizophrenic in this universe yeah maybe we're not we're not sure but uh either way uh that's kind of where we wrap part one here so uh I think for for plot for part one we're going to give this a single score of course but I I love the plot for this episode I mean I think both parts together it works really well but uh in a vacuum this first part there's so much that goes on and it's so I think it's so well put together I think the pacing is done really well you have the mm -hmm. opening scene that sort of sets the table and does its best to introduce you to this new character Gil it also sets up ultimately what's going to be this plot because two 
Two-Face's plot is revealed to be, as you mentioned, he's moving out all the other gangs, uh, attempting to, to kind of make it seem like there's a new gang moving in. But ultimately, he's kind of been laying low since the end of Two-Face uh, Part 2. And he's sort of been amassing this power and, and attempting to infiltrate the, the Gotham City Police Department, obviously, with, with placing Mason and, and um, putting Mason under his uh under his uh his influence so we you you really see this plot point coming together here and it's a lot that's set up you have bruce going undercover and bruce is actually as he's trying to infiltrate uh two faces uh his his uh, hideout is uh is is unfortunately knocked unconscious uh, unconscious uh by by two face and sort of discovered there so his story is kind of left hanging as you mentioned we have robin doing the detective work side of things uh and and him having an interaction with batgirl uh you know during this during this Mm -hmm. attempted assassination so he's on to trying to figure out who she is also and uh her her, she's actually exposed sort of the public uh during while this happens Uh, summer gleason is able to get footage of her kind of fighting off the the various thugs so we get you know she's out there in the public now so there's a lot that's set up in this episode for them and it's paced really well i don't think it feels really jam-packed i i feel like the the plot for this episode is so so strong and the beats just kind of go all together setting us up for this second part that we come to yeah, it's like an all-timer, I think, of a, of a setup of a part one uh, episode here. It's especially, in, and we'll we'll certainly get to that maybe in visuals and even in voice acting later, but that, that final moment, the final, the very final moment after, uh, you know, as you said, Bruce has been captured as Matches Malone is seemingly about to be put to death. And uh, we, we cut to uh, the, you know, Batgirl and, and we, we get the first reveal of, of the Batgirl suit, the, the true Batgirl suit in the final shot of the episode. And, uh, and that's sort of a, a really great cliffhanger is that we do see her suit up right as the episode ends. So we know that there's a very exciting conclusion coming in the next part. And uh, yeah, that kind of brings us into uh, to part two as we, we pick up pretty much right where we left off with, uh, with Robin going and sort of keeping an eye on, on Gil Mason and, and Batgirl arriving at the same time. They actually have like a brief, scuffle and and robin's sort of very dismissive of her and and tells her that he doesn't have time to look after amateurs and and uh in the meantime he's able to uh plant a bug in uh in on gil mason's balcony and you get this weird bat listening device used twice in this and this they're like a little bit different because the one's like a blue one that's also maybe an earpiece Uh uh-huh and then this one is just like a big gray thing with a speaker on it, which, so I don't know, maybe there's one for like, that's like the two-way radio one. And then there's one that's just the listening device. I don't know. Makes sense. I like that. But uh, yeah, so we get two different bat listening devices in this episode. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Robin hears uh, an address that he's, he's going to go back, go to this old abandoned subway station and Meanwhile, uh, Barbara, again, showing herself to be quite capable as well, is able to pull out a pair of binoculars and see that uh, that Mason has written the address down. And so they're both sort of go- seemingly going their separate ways with uh, with Barbara claiming that she's since Robin won't let her help, that she'll just head on home. And and then, of course, she she instead springs into action, which uh, is sort of when we finally get our, our three heroes all convening as 
as uh, we find out that Two-Face has brought Mason down there to try to identify this mysterious Matches Malone. And, and uh, in the meantime, Robin has arrived and begun to sort of take out some of Two-Face's thugs and sort of tying them up. And as Batgirl arrives, she is uh, unfortunately sort of tripped up by one of the thugs, kind of again, getting over the fact that she is uh, still very inexperienced at this crime fighting thing. And despite her being a good athlete and smart and capable, she's not, uh, she's, she's not completely Teflon yet when it comes to the, uh, the finer points of crime fighting. And once Gordon's out of the picture, you'll be assured to take his place. In fact, they could be calling you commissioner by tomorrow. Tomorrow? I'm stepping up the timetable. Too many people nosing around. This guy, that Batgirl chippy. I'm not taking any chances. My men will bust Gordon out of jail tonight. Then we'll dump him off Bayshore Wharf. Ah! Hey. What's that? Hey, did you hear something? We got company. Over there. She, she sort of stumbles into Robin who drops a, a smoke bomb and that allows uh, Batman to get to uh, to get away or at least to avoid getting shot. But it also uh, creates sort of this crazy melee where uh, Two-Face and Mason and some of the other thugs are able to get away and also blow up the only exit to the place, which uh, sort of leaves our heroes trapped as uh, as Batman finally suits up for uh, for the second part here. Yeah, and uh, we're in an, an abandoned subway station, it looks like at this point, something that was under construction. So uh, as as uh, as Two-Face blows up the exit, uh, he also, the first time ever, I think that a villain is smart enough, he says, I think uh, the, the explosion probably got them, but just in case, he decides to flood the tunnels also. <laughs> Previously placed explosives that he explodes. So this is the an example of hey i'm all for this supervillain figuring out that hey maybe just in case my plan didn't work because this batman is really resourceful and tends not to be easy to kill let me follow up with that just in case i i so i really appreciated that (laughs) right it's not the classic like james bond villain where you set the death trap up and then walk out of the room and and just assume that he's dead. You know, he he at least tried to have like a double, right? Uh, a secondary, a secondary is like, well, if the bomb didn't get him, maybe the water will. So exactly, yeah, I appreciated that. But so uh, as he floods the tunnels, Batman, Robin, and Batgirl suddenly hear the rushing waves, and Batman uses uh, his last and only bat grapple at this point to blast a hole in the uh, in the ceiling. Uh, that comes down. Robin uses his last bat grapple to uh, shoot shoot the grapple up and allow Batgirl to escape. Uh, as she's lowering the grapple back down to them, however, they are washed away by an oncoming set of, I guess, sewer water, <sighs> something sewage, raw sewage. It's pretty blue for sewer water, I would True. think. River but, uh, river water, I guess. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, know. I guess it's it, yeah, it's I guess it's it's probably coming in from everywhere, I guess. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good. <laughs> There's definitely poop in that water. So yeah. <laughs> or dead bodies, one or the other bodies, rats, you know, yeah. 
all all of the stuff you would expect to find in the sub, in the subways of Gotham City. Right, I'm sure. right. exactly. So uh, they're washed away, much to Batgirl's chagrin. Uh, in this meantime, however, uh, we we flash back to uh, GCPD where they finally allowed Commissioner Gordon to change out of his brown pants and button down shirt uh, wh- while he's being <laughs> held in a cell there. And uh, he is broken out by a pair of thugs who mention that uh, Rupert Thorne is taking care of him and that he doesn't forget his friends. Uh, further uh, trying to cement that Gordon is uh, is certainly not on the up and up. And uh, that leads to Barbara attempting to make a call to the police department to warn them, but it's too late. And she finds out that uh, he at that point has been taken. And uh, so we end up down by the docks and that's where Gil Mason has has arrived with with Two-Face and his thugs. And they're going to put an end to to Gordon the old-fashioned way with a bullet to the head and I guess throw his body in the river. But uh, just in time, Batgirl shows up and is able to, to foil the, uh, the, the plot and, and stop Gordon from being killed. And just as it looks like that Two-Face's thugs with their Tommy guns once again are about to overtake her, wouldn't you know it, uh, the Dark Knight and, uh, and the Boy Wonder who managed to escape the the abandoned subway by and i don't know the physics of this and how likely this would work, <laughs> but uh just one of the coolest bits that i think that uh i can remember and one of my childhood favorites where they're literally mm-hmm. in a subway car underwater driving through the tunnel and they uh they burst through the wall as the, the as the tunnels continue to be to be filled with water. So uh, it allows them to escape and Batman has to use his ingenuity. Uh, as we mentioned, no more bat grapples left in the utility belt. So he uses a rope and breaks a handle off the side of the subway to use it as a, mm-hmm. as a repelling rope. So uh, lots of Batman ingenuity there. They, they also have heard that uh, they were going to take Gordon to the docks. So they are meeting there. There's this convergence and the dark Knight and the boy wonder uh, aid in, in foiling two face and his thugs, but Gil Mason jumps in a boat and heads out into the river where we see the old statue of Liberty again. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as, as he's headed off, Barbara runs and jumps onto the back of the boat. And uh, we kind of get the culmination of uh, her storyline here and ultimately giving comeuppance to uh, the guy that essentially tried to oust her father. Yeah, that's that all. It really moves at a clip. I think this part too, as, as a whole, because yeah, we go right from, you know, Batgirl and Robin convening on the subway to that first sort of action beat to the, the subway scene and then, yeah, this this final fight where they're they're saving Gordon and, and Batman and Robin are taking down the thugs and Two-Face. And then, yeah, it really does go back to kind of, I guess, where we started, which is this is really a story about about Batgirl and, and her her confronting this guy that uh, that tried to not only take her her father's job, ruin his reputation, but ultimately was willing to kill him in order to tie up any loose ends. And so, yeah, she's she's sort of on her own and they they have sort of this brief scuffle where she's actually uh, he actually unmasks her and realizes that it's Barbara. And this is, I, I don't know if we had mentioned this plot point. It's just sort of briefly mentioned, um, but the, it's mentioned at the, at the start of part one that uh, uh, Jim Gordon mentions that he, he had noticed that Barbara and Gil had seemingly hit it off really well at a, uh, at a fundraiser that they had all been attending to. So there's, I guess the implication there is that if, if Gil was able to pull this off and Barbara had not known that he would have tried to uh, then sort of also begin a romantic relationship with her, 
And uh, so there's like a little bit of a payoff in that as well as obviously she knows that she knows that he is, you know, nothing but scum and is able to, to fight him off. And... Now let's see who you really are. Barbara, I didn't know it was you. Would it have made a difference, Gil? I ought to leave you here. Gives him like it must have been quite a kick because she kicks him. He's knocked unconscious. She saves him. the The boat is speeding towards the uh, the uh, the base of this this Statue of Liberty in Gotham Harbor, and uh, and she pulls him out to safety. But it's it's noted that uh, Mr. Mason is in a coma in our in our little epilogue sequence here, and uh, he is, as we said, never heard from again. So I guess he died. Well, we know that he didn't wake up because uh, <laughs> Barbara's secret that we know of was never exposed unless we get some sort of payoff to this storyline in a future tie-in comic or something. But yeah, mm-hmm. a hell of a kick to the head, I guess. That uh, And <laughs> he does bang it pretty hard on the side of the boat, so. I suppose. But uh, yeah, but that, that sets up our final little sequence. We have uh, this, nice, this nice little press conference as, uh, as the reporters who... By the way, we're all too willing to uh, to believe that this new young pretty boy was was legitimate and that that Gordon was uh, was was fully on the take. But they're they're now being quite nice to Mr. Gordon and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and are sort of just asking him how night how does it feel to be out to, to have his name clear and all that. And they kind of have this ni- nice moment. And then he is, of course, asked about Batgirl and he says that, you know, as far as he's concerned, she's as welcome in the city as the Batman and. We get a nice, uh, a nice, very classic uh, something you could have seen in the the George Reeves Superman show, or perhaps the Fleischer shorts, where they, where Bruce, Dick, and Barbara are sort of all out musing out loud about how uh, we bet we bet we haven't seen the last of uh, of this Batgirl character, and we get uh, Barbara and Jim sort of sharing an embrace, and we have this nice pan up to the. Uh, to the, uh, the 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 lady holding the the scales of justice as as uh, everything is is back to normal and we've sort of had order restored and that's that's where we leave it. So as we uh, we get into our scores here, or, um, man, this is this is so much fun. This is it such is. a fun two parts. Like we said, I think part one. If if we're picking which part is better, I would probably give it to part one. Agreed. Um, but the, the you know again the part two definitely has I think maybe more memorable stuff in the visual department I would say than the than the uh, the story department maybe like it is it is convenient like we have to kind of cram all of the main all of the villains and heroes into one location mm-hmm. uh, so it's like the idea that he would bring the the deputy commissioner down to an abandoned subway and risk him potentially being seen with two face just to try to identify this, 
this random guy. I guess the idea is they think maybe he's an undercover cop or something. So I, I, they do try to justify it. And they even sort of point that out as, as Mason is sort of really upset with Harvey at one point and is, is yelling at him, like, you know, how you brought, you dragged me out here in the middle of the night just to try to un- identify some, some thug or something. But uh, yeah, so, that, so it is a little, like it gets a little convenient. They, I feel like maybe they, they kind of force and then the, the quick stage breakout of Warden. Um, maybe you could have put that at the end of part one or something to space that out as well a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that being said, I still think this is a great deal of fun. And uh, I actually gave plot a pretty strong eight out of 10. Nice. Um, I love this episode. I found almost no faults with, I, I think I found zero faults with part one. I think everything from, from Barbara, you know, being desperate to get Batman to show up to this rally to uh, show that her dad is, is innocent and having to take that into her own hands as a way to sort of explain this origin of Batgirl makes a lot of sense. Like, it, like I, you know, as far as your classic origins of Batgirl, <laughs> this, you know, it's usually just, you know, she's a big fan of Batman. So she's going to take up crime fighting one day. This one makes a little <laughs> bit more sense. Like, you know, she has a purpose for dressing up like, like Batgirl or like Batman. Uh, she never intended to become a, a superhero, but then it's faced with this conundrum of, well, what, what do I do? Because I don't feel like, there's anything that I can do at this point. So I have to kind of take matters into my own hands. And why not? Why can't I do it? You know, she's a, she's obviously an athlete and she feels like between that and, and maybe this, the minor success that she has in that brief foiling of the, of the bad guys that she can, she can kind of do this. So um, obviously that's, as you mentioned, the, the plot point of, of her not quite being ready for prime time, you know, where she's, you know, stumbling over herself and she's, you know, clumsy and, uh, you know, taken by surprise when the, when the goon kind of, kind of, you know, throws her off of him as she, after she unmasks him and throws her into the garbage. Like there's a, there's a lot of that, that I love part two. I think it's maybe more nostalgia goggles for me just because of the, uh, just because of the, the plot with, uh, with them in the subway station is so fun. I, I will say it, it's almost as if they intended to extend the Thorn storyline a little bit. Maybe there was a part that was cut out because the fact that the thugs mentioned Thorn right there as sort of this red herring to keep Gordon in, mm. in the like that this this narrative of him being on the payroll alive i wonder if that was cut and spliced from another like an earlier part of the episode and they kind of moved the plot around or whatever because it really at that point other than <laughs> i guess it does explain why why he would be why he would be broken out of jail and but it's really not it's really not followed up on other than there's this scene where Harvey Bullock has this frustrating turn with being asked questions by the, the, the media members, you know, attempting to ask him what, if he thinks Gordon is guilty. Um, it's never really followed up again. It's not as if Harvey has, has to deal with this, you know, maybe, maybe Gordon was on the take. Maybe this wasn't all, uh, you know, a setup by, by Two-Face or, mm-hmm. or Gil Mason. So it would have been interesting to see that play later on. With that said, though, I, I think looking at this episode as one whole piece, uh, I, I love it so, so much. I think I smiled from the beginning of the episode to the end of it. Um, <laughs> I ended up giving uh, Plot a perfect 10 out of 10. Oh, wow. Love it. Love it. Yeah. 
yeah, like I said, I think some of my my critiques are maybe are maybe minor nitpicks. Like I said, that the uh, the convenience of that last part, and maybe that I just wish that they had uh, they had been able to introduce this uh, Mason character a couple episodes beforehand, at least one episode beforehand. Um, just so maybe you would you would not have such an obvious suspect as to who would be responsible for the framing of uh, of of Gordon. But overall, you know, two very strong scores from both of us. And yeah, this is this is one that definitely holds up really well. And it's and it's a great uh, you know this uh, this if you look at that as sort of the three uh, the three Barbara episodes leading up to her fully embracing this role of Batgirl. I, I think that's a that's a great this works as like a great crescendo to that. And obviously she comes back later on in in, in one of the final episodes of this original run as as well as in the new Batman adventures and beyond. But uh still still this is a this this works I think as a great companion piece to some of her earlier appearances in the series and and feels like a fitting reason why this would be the time she finally suits up and everything so yeah it all it all works together really well absolutely moving on Liam we'll talk about our visual and animation here I believe you said uh, Coco Dong Yang uh, again involved in this one but uh, then Dong Yang and Spectrum, actually. Spectrum. Spectrum's not a not one that I, I remember hearing very often, if I'm not not mistaken. So they're yes, yeah, so they're one of the ones that I think worked in tandem with TMS. So their name isn't always on uh, I think the episode. I think they were sometimes doing not necessarily uncredited work, but they would be sort of the assisting assisting some of the other studios, like in this case, assisting Dong Yang. Um, some of the, I think some of the Spectrum episodes include like uh, On Leather Wings and they've, they've got some good ones under their belts as far as their sort of solo episodes. But uh, yeah, they, they often also worked in tandem with, uh, with TMS and some of the other studios as well. I think, well, On Leather Wings, I think was one of the episodes that uh, visually it's hard to deny just the beauty of that. And I think it makes sense then that this, this group uh, worked on this episode too, because Man, uh, I think from start to finish, this thing is is beautiful. Uh, the characters are all moving so smoothly. Everybody looks incredibly on model. We don't have uh, we got Batman with the square jaw and and not the not the real droopy nose and long ears on some of those episodes, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. As long as it's consistent in the episode, it really doesn't matter which one is which. But for me, the more true to the Bruce Tim original style, that square jaw, this thing looked like in, in parts. And I checked the credits and he wasn't listed, but it looked to me like there was there was several bits that were storyboarded by Bruce Tim himself, especially in part two. Uh, a lot of the Batgirl reactions, a lot of the the sort of uh, the facial facial reactions that she has and, and her smiling and her looking surprised when she sees Batman and Robin showing up again. I thought, man, this looks just like a, a, a storyboard done by by Bruce Tim, but he didn't he didn't get name credit. So maybe it was uh, Butch Lukic or one of the other storyboard artists credited for this uh, this week's episode. But regardless, Man, I have a lot of stuff to talk about with visuals, but uh, I'll allow you to go first. What did you What did you think overall of the episode, and and what were your highlights? Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a pretty stunning episode from uh, from start to finish. I think that opening sequence with Thorn is a lot of fun, and even though the rest of the episode is there's not a lot of 
shadows and and uh and and sneaking around so much i mean we get a little bit of that in the start of part two with when robin and becker are kind of trying to quietly get into the the subway station but for the most part but that opening sequence where they're they're in this dark warehouse and you know thorn walks sort of dramatically out of the shadows and and then he's he's running up to the roof and they they really do an interesting thing which they they would do occasionally on this show and obviously have done another in other mediums as well, which is they really give you that sense of like how terrifying Batman can be for, for a criminal. And Absolutely. so when, when, when Thorne's on that roof and at first you, you don't even see him, you just kind of hear the, the swooping and then you see kind of the, the bat eared shadow on Thorne. And then he looks and you finally see what he's looking at. And you, you know, you see the silhouette of Batman, the sort of steam coming off some of the vents in there. And we see Thorne kind of blindly firing into that steam and then Batman swoops away. And then again, we sort of don't see it. And then we see uh, Thorne sort of look up very dramatically and, 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 and we see Batman sort of descend on him. And then we cut to the, uh, you know, the cops and, and Mason busting in and, and we see Thorne all strung up. So I think that opening scene is a great, even though it's only a minute or so long, probably that in and of itself would make like a great Batman short for, uh, you know, for something. And, and, uh, and it is a pretty fun little sequence. And then, yeah, you have, uh, you know, the standout action beats of, of part one certainly is as, you know, Batgirl springs into action in her in her sort of makeshift suit at first as she she uh, she makes her uh, her her appearance for the rally. And then as she's she's going away, they kind of even though I think most people would probably have figured it out pretty quickly, even even as kids, they still kind of keep her in silhouette and you're not quite sure who it is and we don't we don't get a close up of her face right away until you know and we see her sort of all in silhouette as she descends off a building and then sort of as she's covered in the cape turns around and we finally see you know Barbara's face under the cowl and and then even the even though I think it's kind of silly to have sort of a an in-universe reason why her hair is sticking out of the back of the cowl I think is pretty cute like the idea that you know robin just kind of sees this strange woman running away from him in a in a bat suit and you know tries to grab her by the back of the cow or perhaps the top of a cape and just and she just keeps running and it kind of tears away and then the hair is revealed there and then that sequence as the uh you know she jumps up as the uh the the thugs in the car are coming back around for sort of another pass and you know, she does this sort of dramatic uh, handspring and jumps up and grabs the banner from the rally and pulls it down onto the car. And we kind of almost have this one continuous shot as as we follow the car and then we go inside the car and we have the POV shot as we sort of see just the white of the banner sort of covering everything. And then the banner finally slips off and we see that the car is uh, kind of heading straight into a, a fire hydrant and a, and a brick wall. Um, so yeah, I think that first episode, even though it isn't certainly as action heavy as the first one, there's still some fun sequences. And then as mentioned, um, probably the number one thing from a, a design standpoint is, of course, the Batgirl suit itself. Um, that that being sort of revealed in part one and then sort of, uh, you know, fully fleshed out as as a as visual look in, in part two, it's seems to sort of be based on a on a sort of later 1960s look but you know not dissimilarly from the batman suit itself which wasn't all that dissimilar from the you know the batman suit in the comics at the time they just sort of darkened the palette it's a much darker gray and then she has a much darker blue um in the in the in the uh on her 
her cape and cowl and, and gloves and everything. So uh, I love this backdrop design. I think I might prefer it to the the black and yellow suit. That's sort of the, the standard go-to backdrop suit. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I love that. I love that backdrop design. And I, like I said, I, I think there's a, that's, that's such a great dramatic ending to that first part is that's uh, again, I'm sure we'll get into a, a little bit more in voice acting in a moment, but uh, but as she, uh, as we see her sort of grabbing some supplies and she's all in shadow and then she sort of steps out of the shadows you know, not, not, uh, you know, the episode's called shadow of the bat. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a really cool moment. And she kind of does the, the hero pose as, as the suits revealed for the first time. There's a, there's just some really great stuff top to bottom. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I think while we're talking about the suit, I'll say that that's my only nitpick. And the only thing I think that really brought the score down a little bit for me for this episode is the suit that we get revealed at the end of part one is not the suit that we get as she's out and about fighting crime mm-hmm. in part two and it, you'll notice that the highlights and the cell shading for the end of part one look very similar to the coloration of the batman the actual batman suit uh imagine the batman the animated series batman suit minus the underwear on the outside essentially uh look at this batgirl was setting trends uh, way before new, <laughs> new, uh, new 52 heroes were <laughs> uh way back in 1993 here look at that but uh, yeah so her 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 cowl and her boots and her gloves are that sort of black with a blue cell shading in the middle of them at the end of part one and then when we get her appearance in part two on the roof with robin it's blue with a like sort of this black not all that different than the the dick sprang era batman costume mm-hmm. color sort of with the black black uh, front of the of the of the cowl and then with blue you know bright blue gloves bright blue back of the cowl bright blue, blue boots uh, so there is a bit of a, a change there and it is a stark difference. So I'm interested to know kind of what happened between the two episodes, if there was a, some miscommunication maybe, or maybe after they saw the first episode completed, they decided that they wanted her to look you know, uh, unique enough to stand out in a scene that featured Batman, Robin and, and Batgirl together. But uh, clearly there was some sort of change that occurs because she does not look the same after that. And so a little bit of weird continuity issues there between the two episodes, which is weird from would be one thing if it was the follow up episode. But these are back to back episodes. <laughs> so in theory, <laughs> it's, it's moments after this suit is revealed to the, the, the viewer. It's then revealed again in the very next scene and it's it's completely different. So, yeah, that was my only uh, my only poo poo for this episode as far as visuals were concerned. Um, I think going back uh, this also uh, big, big episodes for turtlenecks in this episode. I don't know if you realize <laughs> Bruce uh, is sporting a turtleneck, uh, yeah, like a, a bright red or, or reddish brown, I think, orange maybe turtleneck. And then Dick also sporting a, a lightly colored turtleneck in, in the scene that he's watching the television. Just just big, big day for turtlenecks for here <laughs> for this, which uh, actually, you know, if you recall, Bruce Wayne loved the turtleneck in the uh, the live action Batman 89 also. So maybe just just there you go. And a, and a and you know a little nod to that uh, with the turtlenecks going on here, but uh, also uh, so there's a scene where Batman goes into an evidence room to attempt to look at the evidence that they have against 
against Gordon and uh, he sneaks in and sneaks out being undetected and then uh, swings away from the GCPD. And there are these two cops that are walking out of the, uh, of the police department, uh, both character models that you'll recognize. But what I loved about it is they hear the swooping of the Cape and in Gotham city at this point where Batman is clearly known, neither of them thought to look up. They just hear the swoop, look at each other, shrug and keep walking. <laughs> It's like these cops are so dumb. Uh, but yes, uh, <laughs> onto the highlights that I actually enjoyed. I think that sequence uh, at the the rally is maybe one of the best of the entire series. There's so much good that happens there from them uh when barbara shows up and you look to the to the roof and she puts the cape up and obviously they drew it looking very much like batman and you have this sort of this mystery at this point you know who is this person uh even dick jumps in and is like you know who is this bruce what's going on uh you're not sure who it is and then as barbara jumps down and sort of reveals herself sort of celebrating uh, the victory that she has there. We get these two headlights that pull out of this, this side street and they light up Barbara kind of from the front. And then we get this really dramatic shot of these, these, I get, I, they look to be like still painted images. So the, the sort of painted drawn background almost, but they did this effect where they lit it up a little bit. They put this light effect over it every time a bullet left the gun. So it gives these static images, this animated, feel to it and uh just it's an absolutely gorgeous piece of artwork they did that multiple times they did that there and then later on when the thugs get out and attempt to shoot barbara uh themselves there's there's a beautiful shot in that same scene also there's this point as we mentioned where summer summer gleason picks up the video camera and she sort of uh you see the reflection in the lens of these two thugs walking up to barbara with their tommy guns drawn as summer gleason is capturing this footage just mm-hmm. such a cool unique perspective to see the face of the person that's watching this but you get to the visual of it in the lens of the camera sort of facing out what a unique way to kind of reveal that uh what's going on behind her i thought that was really really fun and unique um and then uh then that i think that whole sequence is lots of fun also because you know obviously dick and barbara teaming up for the first time taking down these thugs splitting off you get lots of stuff with that. Um, I think as Bruce is climbing up the very next scene, climbing up the two faces uh, hideout and you get a shot inside of the, of the lair and you see the, the security system set up there, giving the audience the, the clue that this is about to be a bad turn for Batman. Uh, I, I love that. Cause it's building the tension in that scene. You're like, no Batman, stop. Don't. And you know, just as he lifts up the lifts up the window, and gets electrocuted i thought that was great um and then later on i think as we mentioned the the scene that stands out in part two for me is the subway scene the water in that scene is animated so smoothly and beautifully and and has that i mean it, it feels like water it didn't feel like a a 2d image it gives it a very 3d effect um it's sort of rushing around them the entire time there it's filling up this the subway car that they're in uh i just absolutely gorgeous and then when they break through the wall so the water comes spilling out there's also sort of this spray that's coming out because the the subway car is sort of 
blocking up the the hole that it made in the wall so that you get this spray of water that's coming out on top of the water that's pouring underneath of it um thought that was really 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 gorgeous and i think the animation is so so strong um i did chuckle also when when two-face brought gill down and they're sort of looking at matches malone uh he's you know two-face asks him if he's an undercover cop and uh, Gil says, nah, I'd remember that face, <laughs> which, which got me a chuckle because obviously Bruce Wayne is a, is a huge celebrity in the city of Gotham and they can't pick it out that this is Bruce Wayne because of a little thin mustache that he has on, he right. has on his face. A very Clark Kent wears glasses type, <laughs> type, uh, type issue there. But uh, that and I think the final scene with Barbara on the on the boat really is is a fun one. Also, this the anticipation, you know, the unmasking of her and then her fighting back and um you know as we'll talk about in just a second the music i think throughout this pairing with the visuals just made everything really really great um i i felt like based on the based on the visuals i probably would have given it close to if not a perfect score if not for that little bit of inconsistency between the batgirl suit that's nitpicking but again it's what we do here i ended up giving visuals an eight out of ten which is still really strong what about you Absolutely. Yeah. I went nine out of 10. Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff in part two. We already talked about it quite a bit in plot, but that the whole sequence with, uh, with Batman and Robin, uh, escaping in the, in the subway car underwater is such a tremendous scene. And just, the, it feels very tense as the, the water's rushing in. And even at first as they're trying to sort of get up just into higher ground and, and Robin is about to be washed away and, and Batgirl's able to kind of throw a rope around his, uh, around his wrist. And she and Batman sort of work together to pull him out. And then, and then as they're sort of, you know, washed away by the big tidal wave and, and Batgirl's sort of frantically trying to pull the grapple up and then realizes that there's nobody on the other end of it. And then, uh, you know, that, that whole sequence with them in the, in the subway is, is just so much fun. And then that's such a great, great beat there. And then, yeah, uh, everything, uh, just a tremendous shot actually, right. As they're, they're getting to the, uh, to the, to the subway is we see sort of one of two faces thugs looking around and there's a, a, a train goes by. And as the train finally passes, we just see, you know, Batgirl and all silhouette and it, you know, it spooks the uh, spooks the thug who's then grabbed by Robin and then tied up really quickly. And it's, it's funny that they didn't even know the other one was there, but we're both sort of working. We're sort of working <laughs> tandem accidentally there. But uh, that I yeah, that whole that whole sequence is a lot of fun. And and uh, yeah, it's inter- interesting. It the and then the uh, the demise of Two Face in this episode for <laughs> the second time in this series. <laughs> <laughs> he is crushed. He is undone by a giant coin. And in this face, like if you, if you slow-mo that, by the way, his head is like, his skull is fractured. Like <laughs> it's, it's amazing. He's alive. Like, <laughs> he is, he is squished like a pancake for maybe a this is there. where we get the birth of the, uh, the third personality trait here. Yeah. That shows up There's... because his brain is, he has severe CTE after yeah. being squished <laughs> by the giant coin for the second time. I love that as a, as a nice bit of headcanon there. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great, that's a great fun sequence. And I, you know, and always a, uh, a, a fun bit of irony of whenever the the coin is is of course always in some way or another a coin always has to be two faces undoing in this series and that uh, that is still the case in this episode here so yeah that that's uh, that's a lot of fun and 
And uh, yeah, there's there's so much great stuff in this episode from uh, from both parts, and uh, that uh, that is once again reflected in both of our uh, very high scores. Absolutely, and uh, I will say also, I think the last thing I'll point out is after Two Faces' demise, and we learn that Barbara is on the boat after Gill. Uh, there's this really cool sequence where where it's Robin. Commissioner Gordon and Batman together standing there and Robin asks Batman where Batgirl is. And it just sort of, he has this uh, longing look sort of out towards the water and says, she's out there on her own. And then we get the sort of the culmination here. So it's, it's, it's really cool that again, the focal point of both of these episodes really is the origin of Batgirl. And she Mm -hmm. gets the spotlight for a large part of the episode, ultimately even the, the culmination of this episode. So um, I love that, that she wasn't made just kind of like the third wheel, which oftentimes, and it was a, you know, a, probably a, a result of the period of time in which the show was done, but the Batgirl of the Batman 66 was often, you know, sort of an afterthought or the third wheel in, a, in the, uh, on the Bat team, but, you know, for her to kind of get her own, her own sort of spotlight here in the series and kind of established as this very important character going forward. I really loved that. So I thought that was a, that was a fitting, fitting little end to the episode. Absolutely. All right, Liam, let's move on to music for this week, which, as you mentioned, the late, great Shirley Walker was responsible for, as well as Mr. Harvey Cohen, as well, wrote some of the music Mm -hmm. for this week. Liam, lots, I think, from the get-go, from the title card... We, we get the, the Batgirl theme sort of coming in just a little bit. It's coming in very light. And then we get this whole scene uh, done with Rupert Thorne. Uh, we then get uh, music uh, throughout that Thorne scene, as you mentioned, the reveal of Batman as he sort of stalks Thorne on this roof. And um, we I think it continues through the next scene where Gordon gets arrested. And uh, there's, there's just so much good music in this episode the composition is just phenomenal and i think from start to finish i mean there are obviously times where the episode is breathes a little bit and there's not music but the 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 music coming in when it needs to and sort of setting the the tone for each scene it's it's incredible (laughs) it's it's a it's a home run i in in my opinion Oh yeah, to- totally agree. I think the the main theme of the episode, and um, that's, that's sort of the refrain that's played every time. Sort of a uh, Batgirl is springing the into action. It's also played at the sort of slowly as uh, as the title card is airing. And then uh, one of the things I really love about the way that and we talk about this all the time with the the Batman theme and some of the other you know classic hero and villain themes is is uh, you know when she's first sort of just tiptoeing into the action when she just swings over the building it's sort of brought in very lightly and slowly and sort of uh with with just sort of light strings as as it's sort of revealed and then when she uh when when she actually is springing into action at that you know in that in that action sequence in part one when she jumps up to grab the banner then you know the percussion comes in and it really starts to build and it gets faster paced and you bring those horns in and it's played so it's so big and heroic and triumphant at that moment as she's she's now sort of fully uh, embracing this role as a superhero and and we hear that brought back all all throughout part one and there's sort of like an alternate theme played for her when she's out on the boat at the end which i think is actually 
the theme that they end up using more for her uh, going forward in this series and into the new Batman adventures uh, when, when it's sort of her out on the boat with Mason at the end of, of part two. But without a doubt, that is, that is going to be the standout thing. It's, it's another one of those classic pieces. We talk about that when a certain character theme that you just, you watch these two episodes and I defy you to not just find yourself humming this for a week straight, probably afterwards. Yeah, 100%. I think since you posted the clip, which uh, you guys can check out on our social media at VCAU Review, both on Twitter and Instagram, but since you posted that earlier in the week, uh, I think the Batgirl theme has been in my head. I was super excited to, re- to begin watching the episode. And as I said, not having seen this in, in several years, but having seen it so many times in my life, it's it it picks up right away and the fact that you get the sort of very slow build under the under the title card and then again it, you know it comes back in later on once Batgirl sort of makes her debut in that scene uh, at the rally and then as you mentioned the fact that there's this sort of alternate theme that they bring in that plays for the second part you know it, it's it's almost it reminds me of the fact that they ended up going with the Danny Elfman theme for Batman for the majority of it but you also have the Shirley Walker Batman theme brought in that's just as well known and just as well fits mm-hmm. the character and is is as often or if not more played in played in the series so um yeah i i think that it, it fits well that a a character inspired by the dark knight is also has her own set of, of theme songs here so yeah it, it fits really well it's really a, a beautifully orchestrated pair of pieces and uh, we also get some some of the two-faced theme brought in and used um, especially in the first scene it's where he's alluded to you hear him speak you don't see him uh, he remains in the shadow initially in his first appearance but there's this subtle theme that plays underneath of it and then it also then kind of comes in uh, once for part two the the title card plays so uh, you get some good music there. As I mentioned, there's as Gordon is being arrested and taken out and Barbara is sort of shouting out after him, very alarmed at what's happening and Gordon shouting back that everything's going to be okay and it's going to get taken care of. Uh, you know, there's a theme that comes in and, and plays as, as she, as Gil sort of s- tries to swoop in and be the comforter to her and, and her being reluctant uh, to accept it at that point. It's, uh, you know, the, the music really sets for that and uh, the, the Batman theme plays quite a bit in this also. We get uh, Batman, uh, as I mentioned, his ingenuity and in pulling the uh, <laughs> pulling the handle off the side of the subway car as it's hanging outside of this, uh, the, sort of hanging precariously. Uh, the Batman theme plays, and there's a, a, a tension building in that as well. And then, of course, as Batman and Robin spring into action uh, to sort of save save Barbara on the docks, uh, more, more Batman theme played there. And I think the music in the subway as, as Batgirl and Robin are sort of accidentally revealed and, and Two-Face discovers that they're not alone and that Batman uh, must be the guy uh, with the mustache. <laughs> we, uh, we get some more music that's, that's uh, fitting for that scene as well. I loved the soundtrack for this episode. I think that it's it's hard to to nitpick or say that there's anything wrong with it. I think that uh, even more so than that, as we often say, a lot of times the music isn't offensive.
impressive, but it's not memorable. This is one, as you mentioned, you're going to have this theme probably stuck in your head, both Batgirl themes stuck in your head uh, going forward for a few days if, if, you will, if you're a fan of music like we are. So uh, I felt I had no choice but to give this episode a perfect 10 out of 10 for music. Love it. Yeah, I, uh, I perhaps unsurprisingly gave it the exact same score of 10 out of 10 it's just it's great there's so many great tracks and the one the one thing that really stuck out to me and it's because it it does feel a bit out of place to me um not enough to bring my score down obviously but it's it's when uh it's revealed that uh when the when Batgirl is sort of tripped and and falls into Robin and the smoke bomb goes off and and uh you know Batman as he's still in his Magic Malone outfit you know yells look out robin and and dives underneath the uh or dives down onto the tracks and kind of hides underneath the uh the side platform there and two-face kind of has this realization that oh if that's robin then this must be and then like this really like funky jazz like this bass line <laughs> comes in and all of a sudden we're like do 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 and it's just like it's just like it's like real funky for like just that scene and we get like these really like jazzy horns brought in as as uh just for that kind of one scene i mean i think it's fine because it does have that sort of mafia hit has been put out we're about to you know this guy's being fitted for cement shoes type of type of motif to it so i think it, it kind of fits with what the scene is but we don't really get music like that for the rest of the episode the rest of the episode is just mostly strings and horns but we just get this really like funky bass line comes in all of a sudden and then these like real in this real fast percussion and these horns brought in just kind of just for that one scene and uh it that stuck out to me as kind of it, it almost kind of made me laugh the first time i heard it but it uh you know it's all great and it's all it's all pretty unique and if anything that maybe just again signals that two different composers worked on the on this episode so there's a little bit of a difference. Each part within itself kind of has its own unique flavor to it, which I think just makes makes the music for both parts more fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Liam, let's move on to our final category of the day, and that is going to be our voice acting. Uh, we have a lot of returning voices for this week's episode, and I think uh, a lot of great performances uh, to talk about. So let's discuss this week's voice acting. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we have, uh, of course, John Vernon briefly returning as Rupert Thorne. And I'm trying to think, is this his last appearance until Mystery of the Batwoman? Mm, mm, no, he's in Bane. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. So yeah, I think he's, definitely, he's definitely in Bane and maybe in right. another episode. I, I'm not sure. But either way, I think his performance in this, albeit a very, very small small uh performance i i love the fact that uh you know he's playing this cowardly mob boss that's attempting to run away from the police first of all dude if you can't be seen there why are you there at all like that's the that's the question that gets me on the <laughs> off chance that you're busted why if you can't be there why are you there at all why are you the mob boss there at the scene but regardless why are only two guys uh <laughs> unloading this giant shipment of uh quote-unquote contraband <laughs> good good question all good questions here but as as he escapes and uh batman of course is uh foils his escape plan we get this great scene where bullet or bullock and and gordon and gil mason uh come up to the roof and are calling out for him and 
they say, come out with your hands up. And, and he shouts back, not even if I could flat foot, which is great. And <laughs> up and see him hanging all tied up and Gordon with a great line. Don't you just love it when he gift wrapped them for you? <laughs> so good. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, that's a, that's a lot of fun and a fun little cameo, even though he's not really the, the focus of the episode to see that character thrown in there, but uh other elsewhere in the episode, we of course uh, briefly, uh, mostly in there, I'd say only only in part one, but we do have Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as Alfred. Uh, like I said, I, I like some of that dialogue that uh, that he and uh, and Lauren Lester as Robin get to kind of bounce off each other as they're sort of with with Bruce out in the field are, are sort of left to uh, to puzzle this one out together. And so I, I like I liked I liked their a little the little bit of back and forth that they had as. Uh, you know, and then as as Robin suits up after after realizing what's up with uh, what's up with Mason and and sort of rides off into the city on the motorcycle, I think they they have they have a couple of fun scenes there together. And uh, yeah, speaking of Lauren Lester, uh, yeah, he gets he gets a quite quite a bit to do here. Um, he it, both in part one, like we said, he just kind of shows up and and he at first kind of seems like Batman's putting him on the sidelines. Uh, you know, a, a recurring theme from previous episodes and. And then Bruce sort of comes up with the idea to uh, to have him make this appearance and, and it sort of let him be the the one, you know, Batman and Batgirl don't honestly have that much interaction in this episode. There's obviously a little bit later on in the subway and in part two, but uh, it really, uh, Robin actually gets quite a bit to do and is, is sort of the one that uh, both both uh you know is both sort of exasperated by her at some points and is trying to get her to just you know to leave it alone and and go home and let him do his job but at at the same time he sort of in that moment i think especially it's the sort of the twist comes when she when she saves him in the in the subway as he's almost washed away and and then kind of from there it seems like he's sort of way more accepting of her so you get a get a nice like little mini arc for the beginning of of that uh, that relationship there so I, I think lauren lester does a pretty good job here yeah i think it's great he he has a little it seems like he's headed for another episode full of quips he does get one or two in and he does have mention uh an all-time favorite line of mine how he hates wet shoes i still repeat that one anytime <laughs> my my own shoes get wet so uh me- memorable there but yeah i i love the fact again uh, they as you already mentioned that he gets he gets a little bit of the starring role for this batman is sort of re- rele- uh, relegated to the back um it sets up the the budget romance between barbara and dick albeit they're they're sort of unaware that it's the other person there in the flesh with them but it does set up the future romance between the two of them and more interactions down the road between the the pair of them so um although we know that that goes nowhere but spoiler alert but I digress. Yeah, I think uh, the fact that he gets uh, some more serious lines. This is a, a couple episodes in a row now. I think where we've we featured him not just being the straight up annoying quip machine that he was so early on in the series. So fleshing him out, allowing him to be uh, to be a, a character that is there, quite frankly, to rescue Batman after Batman has gotten himself captured is uh is is pretty great so his performance i feel like matches the uh the fact that they they treated the character with a little bit more respect in this episode yeah for sure uh yeah it's, that's a that's a fun a fun uh, dynamic that we'll get to and 
yeah, some of our other sort of side characters we do. It's funny. He only has a few lines across these two parts, but Robert Costanza as Bullock is so freaking funny in this, in these two episodes. Like everything he says is pretty funny from the, the first interaction he has with, uh, with Barbara, where he's letting her know that there's going to be this rally and then she's telling him what a great idea it is. And he has to sort of sheepishly admit that it wasn't his idea. And then uh, when he's, when he's talking to, when he's uh, when he after Batgirl has been revealed and we get a, a great shot that uh, as, as he's sort of crumpling up the newspaper with Batgirl's picture on it to to reveal that uh, that that Barbara is sitting in front of him and he's he asks you know what's next Weasel Woman and then and then that 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 bit in uh, in part two as he's sort of just sitting uh, next to Gordon's cell just you know gorging on food as as Gordon is talking about how how much he hates the prison food and. And then sort of the, and then his sort of over overly angry reaction to when the uh, the reporters uh, are throwing throwing the the microphones in his face. But uh, even though, I guess, I mean, you wouldn't say. I think I think even though he's a he's a bit player here, and and certainly him, I think him playing off of Bob Hastings as as Commissioner Gordon, who despite being sort of the center of this episode, is sort of sidelined for a lot of it. But uh, I think Robert Costanza and, and Bob Hastings both do a good job in sort of a limited screen time. Yeah, I, I think uh, especially at the end, uh, Bob Hastings' interaction with Barbara and mentioning to the to the media that he's glad that Batgirl is here and that she's welcome. And again, his sort of outrage at the beginning as he has this interaction with Gil Mason as he's being arrested. Uh, I think all of that. And then uh, ultimately as they're on the docks and he threatens Gil's life after Gil mentions that uh, sort of very creepily that he's going to cozy up to Barbara after Jim is gone. And, and it's quite, quite uh, irritating to, to Jim, rightfully so. He's, he's quite upset about that. It's business, Jim. Nothing personal. Matter of fact, I respect you. I do. But a fella has to take his opportunities where he finds them. And with you out of the way, I'll be mayor inside of a year. You're sick, Gil. A lot sicker than him. At least I can see his bad half. Sorry you feel that way. At least you won't have to worry about Barbara. I'll take good care of her. She's very fond of me, you know. You piece of scum. I may not be around to stop you, but I know someone who will. I wouldn't count on it, Jim. There's been a recent decline in the bat population. So he gets to show some emotion, and as you said, Robert Costanza, I think, as Bullock, no surprise that uh, even in the small bit parts that he has to do is, is really strong and gives a, gives a great performance. Absolutely. And uh, that brings us to some of our, our bigger actors of the piece, our villains. First and foremost, we have Richard Mull returning as Two-Face. And it's interesting because in, in part one, he's kind of in the shadows for most of it. He doesn't have very many lines, but it's very clearly Richard Mull's Two-Face. So I'm not quite sure why they they bothered with that, um, <laughs> with that, with that, uh, that moment in the, in the, in the story. But uh, he does get to be, that's probably the, the best stuff from him in this episode is because he is, even though he's the main villain and the guy that's sort of trying to muscle in on the, on the underworld's territory. Um, it's not really his, his episode. It's he, you know, he does get that, that uh, very good scene towards the end of part one, as he's sort of threatening matches Malone and sort of looking over him and, and then talking about how there's just something that doesn't sit right with him about him. But, but that ultimately it's not up to him to decide and that it's going to be uh, that it's going to be the coin, of course. And then that and, and probably his interaction uh, when uh, when uh, Mr. 
when Mr. Tim Matheson, who folks would know from the West Wing, probably most famously played the vice president on that show, uh, as Gil Mason, probably the best interaction that Richard Mall gets is when uh, when Mason calls him Harvey while they're in the subway. And that's probably the best best moment for Two-Face here. Yeah, he grabs him by the lapels and shakes him out and lets him know that that's not acceptable. He's not Harvey anymore. That, uh, well, at least that Gil doesn't get to call him that, which I, I appreciated. So, yeah, kind of setting up that uh, that regardless that he needs to acknowledge Two-Face as the head of this this ring, that he's not uh, not getting too big for his own britches at this point. But I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like that both of their performances, as you mentioned, uh, Richard Malls is very... Uh, very limited, but, and, and yeah, I, I think more or less maybe just looking at this as it's a children's cartoon. So you're going to give the kids an opportunity to go, Oh my gosh, it's two faced without actually revealing it to them. Maybe uh, subtly doing that. Or maybe if this is the first time you've ever watched an episode, not knowing who the character is by their voice, maybe, uh-huh. I, I don't know, but yeah, it's pretty spot off spot on right away that, you know, who the villain is because of the, the voice acting. So, uh, and then uh, for his role as Mr. Mason, I, I think that he does a great job and uh, it's his, he, he's the slimy secret, like secret villain for the episode essentially most of the heroes are unaware uh, of his of his guilt until midway through the second part so you know him having to play sort of a good guy and this slimy smarmy politician that's angling for for gordon's spot but still having to keep up appearances and pretend like he's supporting gordon i think he does a he does a, a solid job at doing that so him going on to then play another politician in a in a uh, in a on a live action television series, does that mean there he's typecast now? He's automatically <laughs> has to be a politician, a smarmy politician in uh, in every series. Could be, yeah. I'll be honest, I didn't love uh, Mr. Matheson's turn as as Gil Mason. I I think there are moments where he's good. I think I think it works in the first part of the episode, like when he's can when he's there to arrest Gordon. I think he's good in that scene. Um, but when it when the turn is sort of official and it's sort of the mask off moment in part two, I just I didn't think there was enough of a of a shift in the performance where it really feels like this guy's like this real sleazeball. To your point, maybe that's because he is playing this sort of you know affable, clean cut politician, and so even when he's saying these dirty, terrible things and he's talking about how he's gonna you know off off Jim Gordon and, and take his daughter, you know, afterwards and all this stuff that you just, I think, I think maybe I was expecting or perhaps misremembering a, a more sinister turn there. So not bad by any means, but maybe not as uh, as great as I had remembered it. And the, when the, the, the mask is pulled off literally at the end, when he, when he unmasks Batgirl and, and sees that it's Barbara, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't really buy the, the shock there as uh as he's uh he's sort of re- that that reveals made to him but that's that's uh, that's that's more nitpicking like i said i think he does a solid job otherwise but uh that will bring us to our last couple of voice actors here we of course have kevin conroy at ba- as batman who again does not get a ton to do in these uh these two episodes is uh he does get a little bit and he gets probably a little bit more to do in part one as he's first sort of reacting to these news reports and then uh, when he has the scene, as you mentioned, where he he goes and he he talks to Gordon via the uh, the radio that he kind of 
shoots into Gordon's cell and they have a conversation. And then maybe his best moment comes when he goes to see Barbara and is sort of is sort of trying to very authoritatively tell her to stay out of it. That might be the best moment for Kevin Conroy in this episode. Yeah, it's it's a limited role for the majority of the episode, as we said. He does have a little bit of of time as matches Malone, uh, which is which is welcome. Uh, but uh, you know, it's, it's clearly just Kevin. It's just Kevin Conroy doing a different voice. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's it's not asked of a whole lot. I think that again, I think his his most poignant and best delivered line is when he he talks about Barbara being out or Batgirl being out there on her own. It sort of punctuates that uh, that scene very well. But uh, the rest of it, he's not asked to do much although i would say the interaction between him and barbara also where she's sort of pleading with him to arrive at the rally and him again being very standoffish and letting you know kind of a, a jerk because he you know hey I, yes. you know, this isn't <laughs> it's not my job to make public appearances which he's right but also jim gordon being his only friend in in gotham you would think that that would that would lend a little bit more uh, at least somewhat compassion or empathy in that in that moment than he shows although ultimately he makes up for it by sending robin in instead but yeah i think it's not it's not an episode for him to have to carry and i think that ultimately that's okay yeah absolutely um yeah i do really like that scene in the cave as he's sort of getting into the matches below and get up and and he and Robin are sort of arguing over it and, and, and Robin's sort of, you know, telling him that, he, you know, he, he doesn't want to be sidelined and then left sitting around at the manor while, while Bruce hits the streets and stuff. And, and that's sort of a, a good little, little act break there as he, he asks Robin if, if, uh, if since he, he's not going into the field with Bruce, if he's, if he's available for public appearances, I think that's a fun little bit there. And then, yeah, obviously our, our main actress that we're going to be talking about for, uh, for this episode is uh, the returning Melissa Gilbert, who we've talked about a couple of times, as we mentioned, uh, appearing in both Heart of Steel as well as I Am the Knight before this. And, uh, and again, she kind of has her grand, uh, her grand uh, entrance here where she finally gets to be sort of the main character because we do follow Barbara for most of this episode. So it's it's fun to see this and i i think she does a really great job like i i it's weird because i think she and tara strong who of course voices her in the new batman adventures uh even going forward into beyond when she's played you know by stocker channing and uh, you know an older woman obviously there's there's a lot of varying barbara gordon voices even within this dc animated universe Mm -hmm. um but i i don't know if this is a hot take or not but and she obviously didn't get as many cracks at it as tara strong did but i think i like melissa gilbert's voice a little bit better like i to me it's just like when she's having those interactions with her father at the beginning of part one and then having those interactions with batman and she's she's sort of you know she sort of has an an exterior monologue in a comic book it would be you know thought balloons or whatever but like i think she does it she kind of almost is narrating the episode so and i think she does a great job yeah i agree and i I think that the switch to Tara Strong, I, I never quite heard the story as to why they went with a different casting choice, whether it was availability or they just preferred to have somebody else take on the role. 
whatever it was though, I always felt like, and it's nothing against Tara strong. She's obviously an extremely talented voice actress that has been around and done numerous voices. So she's very talented, but uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think it hashtag my Batgirl would, would be given to, to Melissa Gilbert. If, if somebody put a gun to my head and told me to, to choose one, I don't know why they would put a gun to my head and ask me to choose a hashtag <laughs> girl, but I digress. Point being, she was always my favorite Batgirl voice. I think the change was uh, okay, you know, when you went to Tara Strong, but wouldn't have been ideal, wouldn't have been my choice to do it. Um, and I think that this episode, I think, yeah, I think when she's talking with Whoopi and uh, she has, as you mentioned, the external monologue that she chooses to do to sort of narrate and, and keep the viewer engaged, uh, she does that all really well. I think the the uh, emotion that she has to show when they've taken her dad away and, you know, she's worried about him. And then again, expressing frustration with Batman, not wanting to sign on to her plan to show up to the rally, uh, having to take things into her own hands. And that line ending that, that first episode, let's see what Batgirl can do. I think is just one of the most iconic lines delivered probably throughout the the run of this show because it it punctuates it's everything together it's the music it's the visuals it's the reveal of the suit it's her delivering the line but without that delivery of that line i think you're missing something and it, it adds a lot to it so batman can't help me fine in that case let's see what batgirl can do So um, her performance coupled with everybody else that we've already talked about, just so, so strong. And, and she has a lot to do. She has a lot to carry in this episode. As we mentioned, she doesn't really mm -hmm. get to play off of Kevin Conroy uh, a whole lot. She gets some Bob Hastings. She gets some, uh, some of the, the later interactions with, with, uh, with, um, with Robin, you know, we get, uh, we get, uh, that's pretty much it though. A lot of it is her talking to herself and her talking mm -hmm. brief interactions with he people here and there. But, um, you know, ultimately I think it's, it's a, a great performance on her part. And I felt like I had no choice, but to give voice acting a 10 out of 10. Love it. Yeah. I went, uh, I went one tick lower. I went nine out of 10. Like I said, I just, I, I was not a huge fan of, uh, of Tim Matheson as the, as the Gil Mason character, but still just a, a phenomenal job from, uh, from Melissa Gilbert as, as we've been talking about and, and from the rest of the supporting cast, a uh, great job and, and everyone plays their roles pretty darn well. So uh, a great, great voice cast this week. All right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to our final scores for this week. Totaling everything up, I end up with a very strong and ending up in our top picks section, 38 out of 40. What about you? And yes, ever adding everything up for my final score, I have a final score of 36 out of 40. So not a big difference there. And uh, with your 38, Cal, that will, of course, put these two episodes, this two-part episode, into our top picks section. So this one is in uh, quite rarefied air here. So do we even need to discuss if this is a, if this is a <laughs> must watch? I think this based on score alone, that tells people that this is a must watch, but pivotal to the series and introduced Batgirl, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you get the culmination, sort of the Barbara Gordon storyline that was started in, in Heart of Steel and, 
you know, continued on in, in I Am the Night. And so you, you, you really have the culmination of that character here sort of reaching their reaching their their zenith. We do get, of course, a follow up episode in Batgirl Returns, uh, which is another great episode that I look forward to covering with you in the future. But yeah, I say there's probably no no real argument here that this uh, this is this is one of the pivotal uh, episodes and uh, seminal ones that you, you kind of have to watch when you're watching through through Batman animated series. Right. 100%. I think even if, yeah, even if you don't include the new Batman adventures in this, in this conversation, you just talk about these, you know, 80 some original episodes. I still think it's a, it's an easy must watch because of, uh, you know, because of this little arc that, that Barbara Gordon's been on and that it all sort of culminates here. Plus, you know, it's, it's an interesting story anyway, but obviously introducing Batgirl who, who does come back in one more episode in the original run here. Uh, yeah, no, no question at all. It's a great episode anyway. It's a great story. And then on top of that, it's, it's, it's pivotal. If, if anything, this is, this is like three thumbs up because it's, it's important to the series itself. It's important to the DCAU as a whole, and it's just a great episode all around. So that's uh, that's three thumbs up somehow out of two. <laughs> a, a new, uh, a new score for us. Three thumbs up. I like that. <laughs> All right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and giving us a listen. Don't forget, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. You know which ones they're on by now if you've listened before, and you're probably listening on one now to consume the episode. So subscribe to us, and uh, you'll get each episode delivered, including our bonus episodes, which we just dropped a pair of them last weekend. Uh, So give those a listen if you're interested. Following along with Batman, The Adventures Continue, and Justice League Infinity, both ongoing comic series hear our thoughts and commentary on both of those series in our bonus episodes. Liam, we are continuing as we go through the month of October here with more Batman the Animated Series. Uh, People would know exactly what episode we're going to be covering next uh, if they followed us on social media at DCAU Review, as mentioned on Twitter and and Instagram. Uh, So Liam, why don't we let the good listeners know that haven't checked us out and don't follow us, uh, what episode we'll be covering next week? That is right. We'll be picking up the very next episode in production order, which of course will be another, gosh, another Penguin episode. We will be talking about (laughs) Blind as a Bat next week. It's a very, very Penguin heavy month and uh, another very memorable episode as uh, as we see how exactly Batman can go into the field uh, when he has his sight taken away from him. Yeah, another one that I remember seeing an awful lot growing up. So it'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. how this one holds up. Don't forget, also, if you're looking to support the podcast, there is a link at the bottom of the podcast on all listening platforms that you can click on if you wish to uh, to send us a few dollars just to keep us motivated and going here. We appreciate it. We invest a lot of time in doing the podcast, so we would thank you. You can also pick up a hat, shirt, or sticker via the shop page. Head over to dcaureview.com and click on the shop. As we mentioned already, subscribe to us and follow us on social media. You can also listen to every episode, both past and present, on the Pod Tower YouTube page. Just head over to YouTube, search for the Pod Tower, subscribe to us there. And not only will you get content from us, but from our friends at Watchtower Database and 
Tim Talk, who uh, just recently restarted their reviews. They're continuing through Justice League Unlimited. I know they're wrapping up their Cadmus story arc there, so lots of good stuff happening there. Liam, I'm looking forward to reviewing more Batman next week, but until then, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of the DCAU Review. Adios.